You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. What can I help you with? Awesome. So I just had a question about clinical experience. So I am an MD PhD applicant. Okay. And I guess I have about 300 hours of clinical experience, but I was kind of wondering, do I need to get more for my application or is it not considered as heavily for the MD PhD because we're also doing a lot of research? Yeah. So I just want an opinion on that. Yeah. Are you in the application cycle right now? Yes, but I'm no longer applying. <laughs> you're no longer applying. Okay, so you applied, but you're like, eh, never mind. What? Let, yeah, let's well, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So I have everything in. My application got verified, and then I got my MCAT score back. And yeah. the worst thing possible could happen. And yeah, I didn't get. I got a 500. Okay. When I was scoring a little bit higher than that, not a ton higher, but I was expecting better than that. So okay. I need to redo the MCAT. Okay. So you're going to press pause and wait to apply next cycle? Yes. Okay. So that alone tells me, regardless of 300 hours or 3,000 hours, that you should still consistently trying to be getting clinical experience. It's yeah. not the total number of hours for me. 300 hours, if you're consistent every month, getting a certain number of hours every month, great. 300 hours three years ago, not great. Right, so it's it's that consistency for me that really determines whether or not you need or don't need clinical experience. And anyone going through the application cycle, I think should continue to show consistency with clinical experience, shadowing, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's why a big move with the AMCAS application as, as potentially you saw this cycle is that new anticipated hours section for each activity. So really, key way to show, hey, look, I'm still doing this thing. Sounds good. Okay. So I'm starting to volunteer at a free clinic this week. So I'll Great. be doing that until next cycle. Awesome. And then I guess another question I have. So I submitted that question before I got my MCAT score back. So I was kind of like, for this cycle, I was like, is that enough if I'm still doing that? But I guess for the MCAT, what I guess are the most common mistakes students make? Because when I was studying... I was not improving at all, even mm -hmm. though I was doing, I felt like I was doing everything right, but I obviously wasn't because I was consistently scoring like 502 to 504 range and I could not get past that. Okay. And when you're scoring 502 to 504, those are the double AMC full lengths. Those are third party full lengths. AMC. And then I did five blueprint exams as well. Or no, I did four, three blueprint exams. Three. Okay. And when you took the exams, were those under, like standard testing conditions, you took the proper breaks, no distractions, all of that stuff. Yes. Yep. And you would get your score. And then what would you do next? Then I would take usually one to two days to review everything. Okay. I go over my wrong and right answers and look at my wrong answers. Why did I get this wrong? Mm -hmm. um, write it all down. And then I would just go over misconcepts from there or keep doing practice questions and keep learning more material that way. Okay. And then you would take another full length exam, score wouldn't go anywhere. You'd review it again. And then were you seeing the same issues, like the same concepts that you're missing or same style of question that you're missing? Yeah, I think so. I think 
when I did content review, I didn't do it correctly. So I've kept missing questions. Like I just did not know the content for most okay. of the questions. So I think that's what I'm doing this time is just reviewing the con the high yield content that I'm missing and then going from there and kind of doing it that way. Okay. And did you do any course or did you just read some books on your own and took the full lengths yeah. separate? Yeah. Kind of like why I did content review. I have the capital books. I just kind of like read through them and took some notes on stuff I didn't know, but then yeah. I never looked at those notes again. And yeah. Yeah. That's just how I did content review and it didn't work. So. And that's not terrible because really the the typically the biggest mistake that students make is doing too much content review. So it sounds like you went through the content review, but there's something about the test. If you've if you've taken that many full length exams and your score's not improving, even with good solid review after, the question is what's going on? And yeah. so when you look at your testing kind of history, do you have a history of test anxiety? Have, have you struggled with standardized tests before or not really? No, not really. Okay. I guess the only one I've taken is the ACT and I did find on that. Um, the actual day of my MCAT, I felt really good. I thought I like killed the MCAT. I was like, oh yeah, I got like at least a 506. <laughs> yeah. And I got it back. I was like, oh, I'm just yeah. kidding. And, and was there a subsection or a section score that, you were like, oh, like that was unusual. Yeah, all of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I did really bad on all of these. But okay. cars was like really low compared. I was getting like 126 and 127 on cars. And then I got a 124 on the actual thing. So okay. could be some test anxiety. I think it was just like, I was so excited to be done. I felt really good about it, but maybe I didn't actually feel that good about it. Yeah. And, and if you're scoring like 502, 504, uh, range and you get a 500 that that's actually not yeah, that's not that's statistically not, yeah. significantly different so right. that that's somewhat expected so the question is where do you go from here and the the question really is you've taken a lot of full lengths well you should probably still take some full lengths um i would probably turn toward qbank um type okay. setups now so so blueprint has qbanks uworld is probably the best qbank out there with with amazing um, amazing questions and explanations that students just really love. So I would probably check them out as well. Um, and, and then it's just continuing to check in and ask yourself, am I improving or am I just hanging out? And, and the question comes down to, is it content? Is it strategy? Is it just something that you're missing? And maybe you would do well with a couple hours with an MCAT tutor for them to like sit with you and watch you do a test and go, oh, I see what's going on. Yeah, All right. I think that, that would be super helpful because like at this point, I'm like, I don't know where I'm going wrong. Yeah. I know some content is missing, but that can't be like the only thing that's missing. Because... Yeah. And from a science foundation, GPA wise, how are your grades? I have a 3.91. Okay. So science foundation wise, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Typically, say, ideally. <laughs> ideally, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I my foundations and so. Yeah. But again, I took Gen Chem four or five years ago now. So just going over some of those concepts again, I think maybe will help. But I actually have a tutor with Blue or a Blueprint tutor meeting on Friday. So awesome. Hopefully, I can set something up with that and get it figured out because yeah. I don't want to. I, I think that will help just to just to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah. And and 
what typically I see is students who who do poorly the first time, and and five hundred is not terrible, but it's not where you want to be. But right. students who who want to or need to retake the MCAT will put extra pressure on themselves on the retake and stress themselves out even more. So you just have to be careful with that to know that like this is not make or break. You can retake the MCAT and you you may do poor again, and that's okay. You can retake it again. Like it's never a make or break. Like this is your last chance. Um, you, you may want to feel that way because it's a miserable <laughs> test to take. Um, but, but don't let that control your anxiety, your fears or anything else. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. So yeah. Hopefully figure that out. Yeah. And I guess one last question, if there's time, do we have time? Oh yeah. Lots of time. Okay. Perfect. Um, so for MD, PhD, yep. I guess I don't really know a ton about how med schools or PhD programs look at an applicant like that. Do you mm -hmm. have any advice for applications, like the average number of research hours? I know there really isn't. Yeah. Yeah, there isn't. Uh, the first question I would ask is why, why are you applying MD, PhD? Um, because I really want to, I'm so to start off, I'm a type one diabetic. That was kind of like my seed into yep. medicine. So I really want to do like type one diabetes research, but I also Perfect. want to see, like patients as well, like help them with their type one diabetes and managing it on the side. Love it. All right. My, my dad was a type one diabetic. So I, okay. I, I love go, go into that world and, and go, go make an artificial pancreas and save the world. And, um, yes. that'd be, that'd That's be awesome. The yeah. <laughs> That's the plan. Yes. Um, that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I, I wore a, a continuous glucose monitor recently just for fun, just to see like, eh, eh, are my sugars? Okay. I'm, I'm luckily I'm okay for now. Um, so looking at that, you, you have a seed, you have this, this world out there where type one diabetes research, looking at insulin, all that fun stuff is out there. How much research do you have now? I have about 1500 hours okay. and then I have a job where I'm also doing research. So awesome. by the next application cycle, I'll have well over a lot. hours. Yeah. You have a lot. And it, yeah. is it focused on type one diabetes? It is not, but okay. it could relate to type one diabetes in the future. Okay. So I work with IPSC cells and we're making cardiomyocytes for children with congenital heart defects. So, cool. Yeah. Okay. So figuring out some fun stuff there, and maybe there's some tr translational stuff uh, that, that may be um, useful later on. So doing research, and it's fine that you're not doing type 1 diabetes research yeah. now. That, that's, that's not super important. Um, the goal when you're applying to, to medical school as an MD-PhD applicant, the application is different. Again, as you saw, because you, you submitted your application, you get two extra essays. You have your research essay and you have your YMD PhD essay. And really, ultimately, you have to keep in mind that for the far majority, if not all programs, you're really applying to two schools. You're applying to the MD school and then you're applying to a PhD program. Okay. And they're separate but together, right? And so interview days are two days long. You're interviewing with a medical school, you're inter interviewing with the PhD program. And so just keeping in mind that there's no free pass, as kind of your first question alluded to, there's no free pass to go, I don't need to do clinical 
uh, experiences. I don't need clinical activities because I'm empty PhD applicant. No, because you're still applying to medical school. Right. So you, yeah. you still need that. And you have to keep that in mind at the end of the day when you're writing your application, you're writing your personal statement, you're writing those activities, you're applying to medical school. Ignore the PhD side of it. And then when you get to the other essays, it's like, okay, I'm going to put my PhD hat on now and really dive into why I'm passionate about research and what it is I want to do with my research career and, and the impact that I want to have when it comes to research and being a physician scientist. Too many people don't really understand those differences, and that's just super basic. A lot of people apply MD-PhD just because they want free tuition, and those those people are really easy to to, to screen out and go, um, you don't have any research. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And then I was wondering, when does like Application Academy open up that you have? And can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I'd love to tell you about Application Academy. Uh -huh. A nice little plug here, not, not even planned. <laughs> Um, so Application Academy at the latest will open up in January, 2023. As we're recording this, it's July. Um, we're hoping to open up earlier and our format's going to be completely different. So this is the second year currently we're in right now, the second year of Application Academy, and it's been a huge success. Students love it. The format students are frustrated with, some of them, because we as we progress through the calendar months, we're moving on. We're going, okay, we're done with primary applications. Now we're going to start looking at secondary applications and submit your secondary essays. We're going to review those in class. And students are like, but but I'm still working on my primary. And so we are going to change it and basically do year-round and not really stick to application timing so that students can come in when they're ready uh, because that's another frustrating thing is we typically close it in February and then students are like, okay, I'm done with my MCAT in March. I'm ready to, to sign up. And I'm like, no, you can't. Um, and so uh, students can sign up whenever and we'll have uh, rotating every, every day, basically during the week. Uh, and we haven't set all this in stone yet, but the idea is that basically twice a day, potentially, we're doing different classes. And like Monday morning is primary application and, and Monday afternoon is um, uh, secondary application and Tuesday morning is interview prep and Tuesday afternoon. So you can go, what am I working on? Okay, th these are the days that are available um, and everything's recorded. If, if I can't make it live, I can still submit stuff for review and, and come back and watch it later. So uh, we're really excited. As as our team grows, we'll have more bandwidth to to bring in more people and help out with with office hours and stuff and reviewing. So we have um, again as we're recording this mid July, we have a, a new advisor starting next week. She's the former director of admissions at an osteopathic medical school. We have former director of admissions at a MD school on our team, and so we're just adding adding more knowledge to the uh, to the process. So awesome! Yeah. Sounds great. It'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. Like I've seen it before, but I've never really looked too much into it, but maybe I will for next cycle when I apply. Yeah, please do. Well. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that was all of my questions. That's it. Okay. Well, good luck meeting with your uh, blueprint tutor on Friday. Thank Hopefully you. they will have lots and lots of, of amazing knowledge to impart on you and figure out, figure out what's going on and get you over this hump. Yes, I hope so too. And and actually, it's a very interesting thing now that you mentioned you're a type one diabetic. Is have you monitored 
blood sugars over over the course of the day, eight hours <laughs> during yeah, this it, test is is I hard. Was nervous about it, yeah, because I applied for accommodations and then they sent me, and it wasn't going to be in time for my MCAT. So I'm like, I was reading up on it. They're not very clear on what is allowed. So I'm like, the well, AAMC is horrible with accommodations. They're horrible. Yeah. Each testing center is going to be different rules and stuff for what yeah, you can do. It was awful. So I'm like, well, I'm going to walk in there. I'll have an insulin pen or I have my pump. So I just told them like, I have this pump with me and they're like, oh, that's fine. I'm like, oh, okay. So it was not a big deal at all. So. Okay. Yeah. I ended up working out just fine, but yeah, yeah. it was a little frustrating. Do I applied you... for accommodations and they're like, you don't need accommodations. I'm like, but somebody told me I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Do you have a continuous glucose monitor? Yeah, I do. I have a Dexcom. And, and have you checked during a, a test day? Like, with especially it'd be very interesting if you if you have that data still from when you took the test like looking at what the stress of that real test day did to you yeah. to see if yeah. there's something that you can prepare for whether you need a little more insulin a little more sugar in the morning whatever to potentially help counteract the increased cortisol that's rushing through your body during test day that would be nice yeah i didn't I do know like I was just testing manually on my breaks just mm. to see where it was, but I was definitely a little higher. Like after lunch, I was definitely high, but I also ate lunch, but I took insulin for the lunch. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to control when you don't have your phone to look at the entire time. So yeah, that's hard. Yeah. But well, worked, so good luck. Uh, keep us posted and, and hopefully we'll see an application academy. Yes, probably. So, <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. Don't forget to check out our amazing Facebook group, The Hangout, at medicalschoolhq.net slash group. 